This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. Next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? Greg Johnston. I'm from Kirkland, Washington, lifelong resident of Western Washington. Oh, right on. Yeah, and uh, man, we had a great uh, conversation uh, way back. I think, uh, man, it was in the episode 10 or something. It was way back there, but... uh, um, anyway, we, I think it was early on in Cascade Hiker podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, we we talked. Fun. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We talked about your book, uh, Washington's Pacific Coast, a guide to hiking, camping, fishing and other adventures. And uh, basically, I have two books uh, about the Olympic uh, Peninsula in my hiking book, uh, you know, ca- uh, catalog or whatever. Um, right and, in your library. Yeah, yeah, in my library. And one of them is uh, Craig Romano's uh, day hiking the Olympic uh, Peninsula, yep. and then yours. And, and I'm preparing a trip over to the Pacific Coast. And basically, I found because you're you described kind of the backpacking side of it um, on the coast uh-huh. there, I thought you'd be the perfect person to kind of reach out to and um, kind of walk somebody through how they might uh, maybe plan a trip or some of the things they might need to look out for, uh, be be cautious of, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, so we're thinking about doing, uh, yeah, Ozette to Ozette to Rialto. You're doing the middle hike of the three backpacks on the coast. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, basically, uh, what? Uh, so starting there at Ozette, um, and then and then heading down. And I've read through your book a little bit here. Uh, what are some of the kind of concerns? I'm I'm thinking about taking my uh, my two daughters. They 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 think uh-huh. it's the coolest idea. We're going. Uh, well, this episode should uh, should come out right when we're leaving, but. Uh, yeah, right, uh, first weekend of April, first week of April. I would say the first thing you need to be concerned about in April is the weather. You know, um, the weather presents both good and bad for hikers on the uh, the Washington coast, the three wilderness backpacks in Olympic National Park. The good thing is you can do them pretty much year round. Snow is scanty if ever. So um, unlike the mountains, which gets buried get buried in deep snow in the winter. You can go any time of year. However, this is, the Northwest Coast is one of the stormiest parts of the planet. You know, we regu- regularly get Pacific storms that come mostly from the Southwest. Sometimes they're the Pineapple Express. Sometimes they come out of the West or the Northwest, and they're just, you know, full of rain and uh, a little bit chilly and very windy. So at those times when storms blow in, it's, it's pretty tough to hike our coast. I've heard that there are some very hardy souls who will go out there in the worst <laughs> storms and camp. Um, but for me, you know, I watch the weather forecast. That's the first thing you need to do. If you have the luxury of spontaneity and can watch the weather and get out there when the, when the weather breaks, um, that's the best of all worlds. Of course, a lot of people are on schedules. They work, you know, work week and can't afford that luxury. But um, you really want to watch the weather. And I would advise people, particularly with kids, if, if it gets close to it and you're looking at a forecast and they're calling for, you know, 20 to 30 knot winds and 8 to 12 foot swells in copious rain, you might want to 
be a little less ambitious, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe get a cabin at Kalaylock or something and, and do some day hiking because it can really be punishing out there. The weather, you know, the, the wind doesn't howl, it screams and, <laughs> um, and the rain just doesn't pour, it dumps. So, um, you really want to watch it. Now, having said that, it seems to me all pretty much every month in the winter, after December, let's say, January, February, March, April, we get these breaks. In fact, if you'll recall, in early February, for about a 10-day period, we had temperatures approaching the 70s, you know, here in western Washington. If you can get a break like that and get out there, boy, I tell you, it's the perfect situation to backpack our wilderness beaches of the Washington coast, because number one, in winter, there's very few people out there. Um, So if you can get away and get the weather, it's good. Now, having said all that, of course, want to watch the forecast um what's the next thing you got to prepare for well knowing that it it's the rainforest out there the first thing you need to think about is reindeer and i recommend that people don't even think about ponchos or you know garbage bags with holes cut through your arms and your head have good reindeer and full reindeer you know a jacket with a hood pants um it's really essential here because the forecast might be good, but things change out there. You know, this is the really dynamic edge between the largest ocean on the planet and the North American continent, and things can get nasty. So you want to be prepared with good rain gear, the best you can possibly buy. I like Gore-Tex. Some people can't afford Gore-Tex, but um, you want to be well prepared for it. Beyond rain gear, you want to have enough apparel, you know, synthetic apparel, um, Wool or wool or synthetic, I should say, not cotton because it doesn't keep you that warm once it gets wet. But what I like to tell people is if you're going to backpack the wilderness coast of Washington, you need to be prepared to put on all your gear, you know, all your long johns, your polypropylene long underwear, your fleece, your shell on the outside, and be able to hunker down and survive anything short of like a, a hurricane or, a, you know, a, a major tropical storm or something like that. You know, um, it's not the easiest place to hike. You'd think a hike on the beach is like, well, a, a walk in the park. But, but you know, you're, you're looking at muddy slogs over headlands, walking on piles of seaweed and kelp, you know, barnacle-encrusted reefs, um, cobble beaches with, you know, rocks that range from, you know, pineapple size to hippo size or even, you know, Volkswagen bus size that you've got to negotiate to, around. So, um it's um it's a pretty physical endeavor. You can get injured out there. People have. Um, so what I tell people is you want to make sure you can bivouac and, and, and not have to worry about hypothermia while you wait for a storm to subside or wait to get rescued or whatever the case may be. So um, make sure your, your, your personal shelter, that is your garments, your rain, rain gear is, is pretty solid. Of course, you want to have a good tent that doesn't leak. Um, that's kind of a, Anywhere in Western Washington, any time of the year, I think that's a that's a good idea. Um, extra food, of course, that's kind of a standard thing with all backpacking to carry extra food. I like to say carry at least enough to survive an extra day or two, um, in case you do get injured or something like that happens. Um, so yeah, be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. All right, a quick little break here to. Uh show some support with these sponsors this is waymark gear co waymark gear company waymarkgearco.com 
I want you to go over there and check out all the little ways that you can edit your pack. You know, basically um, you spark it with some colors here and there. And I'm telling you, I don't know the exact number, but there's got to be at least 20 or, or more ways that you can change a color on this pack. And it's so cool. And, and you can also change the, the um, pockets around. You can make one long pocket on the side for, like, your longer items. Um, you could add straps if you wanted to, uh, though, of course, that adds weight or whatever. Uh, it really, you can just build your own pack based on these um, on on what he's got set up. Or That's Mark Benson over there at Waymark Gear Company. And uh, I'm on the website right now just kind of messing around. I think you guys should go check that out. I wanted to kind of throw out some some of the prices. I mean, he's got 38 to 40 liter, 42 liter packs on there for 195 is where they start. And uh, you know, fifty liter pack starts at two twenty five. Please go over there and at least just check it out. And uh, hey, tell them the Cascade Hiker Podcast sent you. Thanks. Well, on that note, real quick, uh, what about footwear? I recommend good hiking boots. You know, a lot of people are into like low low top hikers or trail runners. But again, like I said, you're going to be going through mud. You're going to be going on slippery seaweed you know, wet intertidal reefs, um, lots of rocks, barnacle encrusted rocks, jagged rocks, sandstone that can really scrape you up. So not only a good pair of boots, I recommend you wear gaiters as well. That'll really help you. It'll give you a little added protection for your ankles. It'll also keep stuff, you know, beach gravels, mud, clay, things you're tromping through from getting in your boots. So when I'm doing a backpack on the coast, I like to wear gaiters as well as good boots. So, um, yeah, you should be prepared for that as well. Now, one other thing, too, um, beyond just, well, I guess this is personal safety as well. Um, you need to bring a, f- a filter, uh, you know, a good water filter, because you're going to be drinking out of streams that have a fairly high prevalence of Giardia, which is a, a, a cyst that um, uh, can get in your body and cause you major upset tummy. <laughs> uh, my daughter, when she was about four years old, got Giardia drank from a well in the Nia Bay area. And uh, it took her a month, about a month and some heavy antibiotics to get over it. So be, be prepared to filter your food or boil it. Um, you, there's other treatments you can use too, but um, be aware of the fact that we have Giardia on the coast and you need to take precautions in your drinking water. Another thing on our coast that's pretty specific to ocean hiking in the northern or southern hemispheres, um, you know, away from the equator is tides. Um, a lot of the, the coast that you'll go on and on the other two of the three backpacks we have on the um, major backpacks, I should say, on the north coast, um, there are points you can't get around except at low tides. Some of them, there's no way up and over as well. So there are spots where you need a tide of, say, five foot or lower to get around. And if you arrive there and the tide's at eight foot, eight foot, you're not going to get around. You're going to be sitting and waiting. So you need to pay attention to the tides. I had a question about about the tides. I'm actually looking ahead right now uh, for the time period that we're talking about. And in on your in your book there, you describe uh, with the uh, um, Ozette to Rialto Beach uh, through hike that you have in your book. You uh-huh. kind of describe a couple of these points to get around and stuff. And and when you say uh, so, when you're talking about these specific points, and of course I didn't highlight them here. So. Um, uh-huh. I'm just trying to go off of, uh, but you're talking about. Yeah, there's a couple there. I don't have the map in front of me, but there are. So here's one right here. So uh, 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 it says Ke- Keostia Beach. 
Chaosia uh, there, Beach. Yeah, yep. there's a headland right below that, and you say five point five feet above, or and above. So now I'm looking at the tides, and so let's say um, uh, on Thursday, uh, April fifth, it says that the low tide will be at ten forty four a.m. and it's looking at minus point five feet, point five feet. So is that five point five? Is that um, five point five above uh, middle tide? Yes, you won't be able to get around. So you're when the tide is at the level of 5.5 feet or above, you're not going to be able to get around that point. If you have a minus tide, you're fine. Okay, You'll so you're talking about it. above, above. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. Positive. See, what happens is when the tide comes in, you get a high tide. It gets up above these bluffs and these rocky points, and it basically inundates the way through. You know, the the path you need to take. Not really a path. That's another interesting thing. Except when you're going over headlands, there's no real path on our ocean pack. You know, you follow the shore and you kind of follow the path of least resistance. You pick your way, sometimes on reefs, you know, sometimes up on rocky shelves. Um, that's kind of part of the beauty, but also kind of part of the pain of our, our backpacks. But yes, and you know, any good map, um, Custom Correct is my favorite for the coast. Um, they're specific to Olympic National Park. Uh, but all those headlands that you need a specific um, low level of tide to get around are marked on the maps. So what I do is I'll go online, go to NOAA Currents and Tides and Currents, their website, go to Washington, pick out the, the nearest location for the tide prediction they have, and I'll write them down. I'll keep them in my wallet or in my backpack on the hike. And, um, you know, you're sitting around the evening at camp. You'll look at the map. You'll say, okay, we got a point so-and-so. You actually should work this out before you even go. Right. Get a sense of your itinerary um, and where you're going to need to have a specific tide to get around. That's one of the challenges, the beautiful challenges of our, our wilderness coast here. Uh, you have to hike on its terms, you know, in terms of weather, tides. Like I said before, it's a really dynamic edge between continent and ocean, and a lot Lots happens there, geologically speaking and atmospherically speaking. So you need to pay attention to the tides, ride them out, bring them with you, you know, along with your, your good topographical custom correct map. There are others that are equally as good, but I like the custom correct. Um, and plan your route, you know, figure how far you're going to get and, and, and give yourself some leeway, you know, particularly hiking with children. Um, it might take you a little longer than you think, you know, your your goal may be a little bit ambitious so consider all those those options um in a lot of cases those headlands you know those points where you need a specific tide to get around a, a certain low tide to get around they have headlands that you can go over you know the rangers uh, uh, will affix ropes and things and there'll be a route up and over but some of them there is no there's no option you simply cannot go when the tide is up over those points so you got to think about that for sure tides weather they're a really big part of, of any backpack on our coast. Well, let's talk a little bit about this uh, specific uh, this specific height, the uh, Ozette to Rialto Beach. Um, you you mentioned in your book that it's 20 miles one way. Uh, well, that's what the park says, and you say hey, it might be a little bit more than that. Uh, but uh, I'm just kind of curious. So when you mention that with the kids, of course, we'll have to go slower. But you also mentioned that uh, you can't just take in factor that it's 20 miles and just do it all in one day. So uh, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Well, I think what you're getting at is the fact that, like I like I just said, you're not hiking a trail per se. 
you know, you're taking the path of least resistance. You know, you're negotiating around boulder fields, reefs, piles of seaweed, slippery sand, you know, gravel beaches where you can't get real good purchase. So you kind of look for the best way, the, the, like I say, the path of least resistance or the easiest way. And that varies by conditions. It varies even every, you know, maybe even week to week based, based on slides that may have happened, driftwood that may pile up. Another thing, you're going to be going over piles of driftwood, you know, periodically. So it may be that you'll get to a certain point and, you know, if the previous storm hadn't piled up, you know, tons of driftwood, it would have been straight shot through. But now you've got to have a pretty low tide or a lower tide than normal to get around it. So you end up doing a lot of wandering. That's why I say that the, the actual mileage is a little nebulous. Let's say you get to a point and the tide's too high and you can't get around it you're going to have to go, get, go up and over it. So depending on the number of headlands you have to climb up and over, that can increase the mileage. If you're in the summertime, you have minus tides, the weather's beautiful. It's, you know, a lot easier. But at this time of year, particularly, um, things can be a little different. So, um, you know, the numbers are correct. It's about 20 miles. But like I say, depending on conditions, it can be a little bit less or a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, that there is one, I believe, uh, is it the Coasty Head? Coasty Head, Um, yep. Yeah, that you have to go up and over. Is that correct? Yes, I believe so. I'm I'm looking at a map now, and Coasty Head is not named Coasty Head on the map. On the map, it's just a a headland. Um, Yeah, it's, let's see, south of Starbuck Mine area. And, uh, yeah, that's one you can't go around at any tide. There were a couple of them on that hike. You've got to go up and over. You look for a, there's a round trail marker where you, where the headlands are marked, the overland routes. They're round trail markers and they're orange and black, kind of an orange and black cross. So you get to those points that you can't round at any tide. I mean, they're always a wash. The sea does not retreat from those spots. Look for the sign. You've got to go up and over. Coasty Head is kind of a cool one because when I was there last, maybe four or five years ago, I don't know the state of it now, but there was an old, Coast Guard observation shack at the top, I think built out of cedar. When I was last there, it was kind of leaning precariously, but it's kind of cool to to stop and look at it and peek in there and and think that, you know, during World War II, the Coast Guard manned this place and watched for enemy ships and any possible hint of invasion. And and of course, once you're up there, it's a pretty cool view of the ocean too. So it's one one of the spots that's worth going up and over. Yeah, that's cool. Well, what about because uh, this is in the uh, Olympic National Park? Yep. Do, does somebody need to get permits in for this? Absolutely, you do need to get permits. Um, and depending on where you go on the coast, some areas you need. There's a limited number issued. The OZ area, the OZ Triangle, for example, from like Wedding Rocks Headland to to Yellow Banks. In in the season, you know, May through I think into early September, you need to get a reservation. But in this time of year, um, it's best to stop by the Wilderness Information Center at Olympic National Park uh, headquarters in Port Angeles, if you're going that way, um, to get a permit. Because they, um, the rangers there will be able to tell you any, any of the latest conditions that may be an issue for you. Um, but if you can't make it, if you're coming you know, in the evening or early morning and they're open, you can get a self-issuing permit at the trailhead. You need to fill it out. And there's a fee, too. There's a... a wilderness permit fee and an over an overnight per person fee it's fairly modest 
But um, you can get a self-issuing permit at the trailhead at this time of year. And then when you get back, um, send your money in. So, yes, you do need a permit. There's a couple other things, too. Throughout these wilderness backpacks in Olympic National Park, there's a requirement that you keep your food stored in a bear-proof canister. Now, being a fairly avid coastal backpacker, I've got one myself. But you can also get them at Olympic National Park headquarters in Port Angeles if you don't. Um, I think you could you can also rent them at REI, like in Seattle and, and uh, um, Bellevue and places like that. But you need to have your food stored, stowed away. We do have bears on the coast, but they're not a, particularly a big issue. The bigger issue on our coast are raccoons. Um, they're un, uncanny in their ability to get food. You know, you can't just hang food on our coast from a rope because the raccoons will climb out on the limb and shinny down that rope and get your food. Um, so you have to have a, you know, a, a critter-proof container to store your food. And the park, I think, also requires or recommends that any scented things, you know, like deodorant, uh, toothpaste, things like that, you keep in the canister as well. Because those odors, of course, can attract wildlife. Another thing to know, too, this bums out a lot of people. Um, you can't take dogs on these backpacks. They're not allowed in, in most parts of the Wilderness Beach of Olympic National Park. There are a few exceptions in heavy day-use areas, but you can't backpack with an animal, a dog. Um, some people have gotten around that by calling their dogs service dogs, which is a really contentious issue, but um, by and large, you can't take animals. Another thing you have to think about, too, if you go with a group, party size limit is 12 people. So, um, you know, if you have a group of 15, you've got to break up into two groups when you count. So uh, that's another thing. Um, and I recommend going to the Olympic National Park website and look at an all their, they have a coastal backpacking web page on their website. Um, look at all their rules and all their recommendations. And they everything we discussed, they discuss as we in length. Um, so it's a good idea to f- familiarize yourself with that. Um, one other thing I'm going to say, and this is a very remote possibility, but we're in an active tsunami zone. Like I said, this is a very dynamic edge where the, the Juan de Fuca plate in the ocean collides with the continental plate, the North American continental plate. The Fuca plate dives below, below the continental plate. Um, the continental shelf, you know, a few miles offshore drops precipitously into really deep ocean. And of course, as you know, this is a volcanic area. Anyway, it's a, it's an area of active earthquakes that generate tsunamis. Now, we haven't had a bad one in 300 years. Um, but if, you know, scientists have studied sediments and determined that we have tsunamis on the average of every, approximately every 300 years, that this is an average. Well, the last one, it was in the year 1700. That's over 300 years ago. So, you know, um, geologically speaking, we're due. Now, it might not happen for another thousand years. We just don't know. But these are things you need to be aware of. Um, earthquakes happen offshore, big subduction quakes, and they create, you know, devastating um, tsunamis. It happened in 1700, probably killed a lot of indigenous people. Um, so... Nothing you should be frightened about, but it's something you want to think about. When I'm on the coast, what goes through my mind is I'm not constantly, but regularly looking for escape routes. What I mean by escape route is if a tsunami comes, you got to figure it's going to be 
you know, 30 to 40 feet high. You need to look for high ground, particularly when you're camping. I mean, you don't need to, because like I say, it might not happen for a thousand years, two thousand years. It could happen tomorrow. So when I set up camp, I'll spend a few minutes just looking around and finding, uh, you know, where can I get? How can I reach high ground? What's the best route to that high ground? You know, the best campsites have, you know, a bluff above them and that aren't too steep that you can scramble up. It's going to be hard, you know, to find out um, whether a tsunami is going to happen because the earthquakes can happen all the way across the ocean and come across. But if you feel a big earthquake when you're camping or hiking on the coast, that's a good indicator. You need to seek high ground immediately and wait. Um, because the subduction quakes, you know, I think the 1700 was magnitude nine, I believe that generated a big tsunami. It did a whole lot of shaking and then generated massive waves. So yeah. Um, of course, Fukushima, which was in 2000, I don't know, 10, something like that, that happened. It flooded a nuclear plant. So these things do happen. They're rare, thankfully, but, but they do. And so these are things you get, you need to think about. You know, like I say, don't be afraid of them. Um, the coast is a wonderful place. I mean, it's a magnificent experience to backpack out there, but these are just little precautions you need to think about. Keep on your mind. You know, as you're hiking around, tsunami comes, how are you going to get up there? So there are places that where, you know, you got to push through and not think about it because there aren't any routes. But, but by and large, usually when you camp, there's high ground behind you that you can, uh, you can scramble up. So you need to think about that. Quick little break here. I'm not sure if you're tired of always having to just pick what they have on sale at the big box stores there. But uh, uh, let's talk about LuxHikingGear.com. L-U-X-E-Hiking-Gear.com. I mean, this is a company you go to the website. He's planning on doing some uh, some shows and stuff. I believe he said he's going to be at PCT Days. Uh, anyway, uh, just you know, keep an eye out for Lux Hiking Gear out there and but this is something that uh it's not going to be found in your big box stores uh there there's one person or one one and two person tents there's um you know three and four person tents we've talked about the stoves before (laughs) you can add a stove if you're doing some uh, major camping not not hiking probably but uh you know go over there to luxe-hiking-gear.com check out all the options remember this is one of the sponsors of the show so uh, just going over there and checking them out is all I'm asking, and you're probably going to see that these TP-style tents are, are pretty cool, and they're not going to be found, like I say, at these uh, big box stores. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Um, we're also kind of uh, you know, based on some of your tips, and we'd, we'd been talking uh, through uh, email before this anyway, but yep. uh, so I'd kind of, kind of been talking, and what... Uh, so we're going out there, regardless of the weather. Uh, we're, uh-huh. we, but but we may not actually do this uh, extreme coastal hike if right. it's going to be bad weather. What were some of the um, you know things in your book that you would suggest? Uh, maybe more of like you know day trips or or smaller backpacks that we could do that might be a little safer. Yep. Well, there's a lot of them. You know, particularly up in that north coast area, Shai Shai Beach is everybody's favorite beach. It's only about three miles in. It's not particularly challenging to get to. Uh, you're not going over headlands to get there. You're basically inland all the way to where you drop down the bluff to the beach. So it's pretty cool. It's a great spot for kids. Um, great campsites. Uh, so that would be one option. You know, if you've got a howling storm, you might, you know, 
even be a little hesitant, but if it's just, you know, maybe some, a little bit of rain or chance of, chance of heavy rain and showers, that's an option. Another one too is camping anywhere along the Ozette Loop, you know, out um, the triangular um, loop hike that starts at Ozette Ranger Station. Um, there's beautiful campsites there. Um, it's three miles out to the beach, so if things got real nasty, you could, you know, beat out of there pretty easily. Um, that's an option. Rialto Beach itself, a mile and a half of Rialto, north of Rialto Beach is Hole in the Wall. You know, this place lined with beautiful sea stacks with great campsites right there at Hole in the Wall. It's absolutely stunning beach. It's only a mile and a half up there. Um, so that's also another short, you know, um, short hike. You can get to a nice campsite and have a good time with the kids around the campfire. And, but, you know, be able to get out of there pretty soon if, uh, if things got bad. And then other options are, you know, cabins. Um, say, Coolidge um, Resort has some beautiful condos, some cabins, motel unit. Kalaylock Resort has wonderful cabins. Um, uh, north out of Nia Bay is Hobuck Beach. There's accommodations, cabins and accommodations there. So, you know, you could rent a couple cabins and then do day hikes, um, have a warm place to get to after your hike. Um, and there's great hikes all around there. You know, you could do a day hike to Shai Shai Beach. Um, from Quilly Resort in La Push, you could day hike second or third beach to the south or Rialto Beach to the north. Claylock, um, it's not a backpacking area, but there's, you know, like eight or 10 miles north of Claylock is all wilderness beach that's got four approaches, you know, from 101. Uh, wonderful hiking there. Great beach combing, you know, and the cabins at Claylock, of course, are if you get one on the bluff or really dramatic. So those are all good options to consider. In fact, I've, you know, my hiking buddy and I have driven out there with a real iffy forecast and we weren't certain until we actually got there, whether we were going to push all the way to Toliak point or bag out and get a motel in Forks and then just day hike, you know, as it was. And pretty much every case we have done our backpacks, but, um, and in fact, one time we went out there with a real iffy forecast and it turned out to be beautiful. You spent three days out there with pretty much sunshine and maybe some showers. Coincidentally, however, the first night we camped up on Ho Head, the beginning of the hike, because we got there late. Um, then we hiked on to Mosquito Creek and Toliak Point. When we got back out, we stopped at a store near Forks, and I looked at the paper, and there had been an earthquake offshore, up, you know, a couple miles offshore from Ho Head. It didn't generate any tsunami or anything like that. and We didn't even feel it, but there was a quake while we were camped out there in Hohead. Wow. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing we were kind of thinking about uh, that I was I was kind of thinking about, I should say, uh, is, is is starting there at Ozette with a you know a car at Rialto and and maybe maybe just uh, not not thinking about doing the triangle, but maybe going down to Sandpoint or even as far as like Yellow Banks and and, and camping there and then possibly. You know, if things aren't going good, turn it around and going back. I and mean, that that seems like an option too, right? Well, of course. Yeah, you could do that. I think it's about five or six miles to Yellow Bank from the Ozette Ranger Station. Um, and there's been some pretty decent camping. There's one, let's see, I'm looking at the map. There's one spot that has a five-foot tide. You, um, Yeah, as I recall, you tumble down over this headland and there's a spot where you you have to um, have to have a 
tide lower than five feet to get around, but there is a headland you can get up and over. And just beyond that is yellow bank. So that's definitely an option. You know, I mean, if you weren't too far into the hike, you know, less than halfway there, you can always turn around and go back. So that's an option. Yeah, that's another neat thing is there's all kinds of options on our coast. You know, I mean, you can usually get out there and have a fun time regardless of what's going on. And, you know, if, you know, you got out there and stayed at Hobuck Beach or f- somewhere in the Forks La Push area, there's other things that are cool. The Macaw Cultural Center and Museum in Nia Bay is a wonderful uh, spot to see, uh, you know, how the indigenous people uh, made a living on this, this coast. Uh, so a lot of cool things to do. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, because we are traveling out onto the Olympic coast, uh, just like any of my trips uh, that we take as a family, I mean, I'll, I'm going to be having your book out there. Um, and I'm also going to grab that uh, that Craig Romano book, too, just because, you know, um, we might find that uh, the coast is just a little too much and, and yep. we might need that as well. So I always recommend that to people. I, I, I get out there and, and, you know, there's not very good cell phone service. And, you mm-hmm. know, why not have these, these, these guidebooks that explain so much, right? Heck yeah. Well, there's the whole rainforest is, you know, um, not far from the coast. There's Lake Quinault has a bunch of wonderful hikes that are, you know, 15 to 20 miles inland from the ocean. Um, you know, that's another option too, Lake Quinault Lodge or any of the accommodations around Lake Quinault. Wonderful hiking there. It's not far from the ocean. You know, you're 40 minutes from Kalaylock. So got a lot of cool trails through old growth forests there on the south shore of Lake Quinault. So yeah, there's always some fun thing to do, you know, I mean, even if it's just absolutely howling to the extent that you really can't get out and hike, if you've got a cabin or a motel room on the ocean, I'm thinking about a trip my wife and I took to Oregon a couple of years ago, the Oregon coast. Um, Ed was just screaming all three, four days we were there, but we uh, we had a motel with a unit right above the ocean and watched the, watched the storm blowing in and pretty much hold up. We took some easy hikes, short hikes, you know, to um, some lighthouses and things like that, covered bridge in the area. We still had a great time, even though, you know, the hiking was pretty much a bust because it was, you know, blowing sideways, raining sideways and blowing really hard the whole time we were on the coast. But so um, we still had a good time. Well, right on, man. Thanks for all the tips and thanks for coming on the Cascade Hiker Podcast. You bet, Rudy. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate you calling on me. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker Podcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, Rudy at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at in underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass. Playing mandolin in a white dress. I come running when I hear that song. It could never be wrong. It could never be wrong. Where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could.